Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. Well, last week we started a two-part series on It's All in Jesus, and we went through all the scriptures reminding us of all the things that Christ has done for us. Now, I'm going to give you just a little bit of review from last week. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 2, when John was taken up into heaven, he saw that only Jesus in all of heaven, in all the earth, and under the earth was found to be worthy to open the book. And then in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 5, it said that he was worthy because he purchased for God with his own blood men from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, and from every people. And then he made us to be a kingdom of priests unto our God. Now we needed a redeemer because when Adam sinned, the penalty for that sin was death. It was, for, it was death for all mankind. All of our power and all of our authority had been given over to the enemy, making him the God of this world. And it was going to take someone without any sin to be able to pay that penalty and buy us back. We looked up Philippians 2, 5 through 8 last week, and it said that Jesus, who was equal with God, he was the second party in the Trinity, literally emptied himself of his royalty and took on the body and the soul of a man in order that he could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then Hebrews 4 verse 15 said that he had been tempted in all ways, just exactly like we've been tempted, yet he didn't sin. And because he passed all temptation, he was found worthy and he qualified to be able to pay the price and buy us back. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin was literally made to be sin on our behalf in order that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that's why Romans uh, in chapter 5 tells us that he demonstrated his love. See, it wasn't just lip service. He didn't just say, oh, I love you. But he demonstrated his love by dying on the cross. And then in John 1 verse 12, it says that as many as received him, received him as Lord, to them he gave the power and the right to become sons of God. Glory. Doesn't that just make you want to shout? You know, he took our sins in order that we could share in his glory. And I thought, how many of us would be willing to die for somebody just so that we could turn around and bless them? That's exactly what he did. He took the penalty of our sin so that he could share with us his inheritance. He loved us that much that he literally died for us so that he could turn around and bless us and leave an inheritance. Now that's why he left his last will and testament. Now we said last week that a will is the legal statement of a person's will concerning what they want to have happen to their property after they die. And we've all heard of wills. Many of you have been in on the reading of a will. But it's the legal statement concerning the disposal of one's property after they die. Now this Bible is Christ's will and testament. This is his will, his last will. He's the mediator of this will, and we're the recipients if we've been born again. God's children have been named as the beneficiaries of this will. So today, you're going to sit through the reading of his will where you've literally been named as his beneficiary. 
Now, there's nothing more exciting than to think that we literally can sit through the reading of Christ's will, and he did it just for us. He left this inheritance for us. Now, if you had a multimillionaire uncle who died, and the lawyer called you and said, I need to see you in, in my office because I want you to sit in on the reading of the will because you've been named as a beneficiary, we'd probably have mixed emotions. We'd be a little bit sad that the uncle died, but we would also be excited at the fact that we had been named in his will. Knowing that he loved us enough, that it was his wishes, it was his will, to have us have a part of his inheritance. So today, as you sit through the reading of this will, you don't have to have any mixed emotions. You can experience all the joy and all the excitement that you possibly can because the one who died to leave you this inheritance didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead and he's alive evermore. So as we sit through the reading of this will, we can feel absolutely nothing except joy and excitement and thrill. He himself is personally mediating that will. So I want you just to sit back tonight and just enjoy the reading of this will. Now, as you take all this in, realize that it's being offered to you in Christ Jesus simply because he loved you that much. Okay, the number one item that Jesus left for you in his will is the privilege of having God become your father, your Abba Father. A father who is very intimately acquainted with you and knows everything about you and he wants you to be intimately acquainted with him and know everything about him. See, man had been alienated from God because of sin. And when Jesus came and died for us, what he did, he literally took away that alienation that was between earth and heaven. That's a part of the inheritance. And now we can very confidently and we can very boldly go right into our Father's throne room anytime we choose. We can go into his throne room and we can enjoy a father-son relationship with him. We can enjoy an Abba-Father relationship. So that's the first item of the inheritance. Okay, the second item that Jesus left for you at his will is the privilege of enjoying all of eternity with Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Forever and ever and ever, Jesus has made it possible for us to share the God kind of life with him. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And every one of us are aware of the fact that we, are, we have righteousness because of Jesus. And every one of us have experienced a little bit of peace, the God kind of peace, from time to time. We've all enjoyed the God kind of joy from time to time. But what I'm talking about tonight, the inheritance I'm talking about, is sharing the righteousness of Jesus and the joy and the peace forever and ever and ever. Never to be out of the joy, never to be out of the peace. You know, I've had times when I thought, oh, Lord, this joy feels so good, or this peace feels so wonderful, I wish it could last forever. Well, it can. This is a part of our inheritance. Now, it wouldn't matter if there were no other benefits other than these two. That would be enough. You know, we could shout for the rest of our life just over these two items. But in John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. And if I go, I will come again that where I am, there you may be also. And God doesn't lie. And do you know what God planned to start this forever life with him? You know what he planned? He planned a marriage feast. Now, I've read about and I've even attended some marriage feasts that were just beyond imagination. 
But can you imagine what the marriage feast is going to be like that God has planned for his son and for the bride that he died to buy? You know, just can you imagine what kind of marriage feast God has planned? It's beyond our human ability to even comprehend that kind of a marriage feast. Now, later you can look up Revelation 19.9, but it says, Blessed are those who are invited to this marriage feast. Well, when God says we're blessed to be invited to the marriage feast, that's probably an understatement. The marriage feast of the Lamb and for His bride... And he goes on to say in Revelation chapter 19 that she has made herself ready and she has been given the right to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. And the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then verse 9 says, these are the true words of God. Well, I look through the, the Bible and I can't find another place where it says these are the true words of God. So I think it's interesting that when he describes the marriage feast, that's when he says these are the true words of God. He's saying this marriage feast is real. Look forward to it. This is a part of your inheritance that comes because you're a child of God and because you're the bride of Christ. So I present that to you tonight as a part of your inheritance in this will. And just as it is at the reading of any will, the recipient doesn't have to deserve it. You know, we should shout over that. Sometimes we start hearing all the things that God's doing for us and we start feeling so unworthy. Well, we are unworthy. We don't deserve it. But, you know, when a child in the natural sits through the reading of a father's will, sometimes they don't deserve it either. But they're given the inheritance simply because they're a child. They're a child in that family. Well, this is offered to us simply because we belong to the family of God. Can you imagine God doing that just because we're his child? He dies for us so that we can become his child, and then he offers it to us simply because we're his child. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. But he gives it to us simply because we're in his family. Okay, item number three is the eternal rewards. You know, it's promised in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12 that the works of righteousness that we do that come through the fire without burning up will give us eternal rewards. Now those rewards are a part of our inheritance. You know, God didn't have to reward us. Heaven would be reward enough. But he says, you know, when you do things for the kingdom and those works will go through the fire if they don't burn up, if they're gold and silver and precious stones, he said, you'll be rewarded for this. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 tells us that we can't even imagine. It's never entered into our heart. Our eyes have never even seen the things that God has prepared for us. We can't even imagine. So if there were nothing else on earth, just the awesome plans that God has in store for us when we're with him throughout eternity would be absolutely enough. But there's so much more. See, our inheritance starts right here on this earth. So number four item left to us according to 1 Peter is everything that pertains to life and godliness. Think about that. It's all in Jesus, but everything that pertains to life and godliness for living life in this world is given to us. You know, the words of that song, it's all in Jesus, just sort of lists out the benefits. In him we've been justified. I've become just as if I'd never sinned according to Romans 5 verse 1. In him I'm being sanctified, according to 1 Corinthians 1.30. In him I will be glorified, according to Romans 8, verse 30. In him he bore my godless shame, according to Isaiah 53, verse 5. In him he took my awful blame, 
Isaiah 53, 6. In him, he bore my physical pain. Isaiah 53, 4. In him, I have my heavenly name. Ephesians 3, 15. In him, I have deliverance from all of the oppression of the enemy. Joel 2, 32. In him, I have his guidance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In him, we receive our confidence. 1 John 5, 14. In him, I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. In him, I can pass temptation. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 13. In him, there's no condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1. In him, there's no room for fear. 2 Timothy 1, 7. In him, I am his sheep. I hear. In other words, we can hear his voice. John 10, 4. In him, I have a friend so dear. John 15, 15. In him is one who stays so near. Hebrews 13, 5. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. In him I know my family's safe. Psalm 91, verse 10. No evil will befall us, nor will plague or calamity come near our household. In him the total truth I taste. John 14, 6. He is the truth. In him the curse has gone to waste. Galatians 3, 13. In him a new song I've sung. Psalm 33, 3. For him the bells of earth have rung. In him all stars above were hung, according to Proverbs 8, verse 27. In him, I'm always seated high. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6. In him, no plague can come nigh. Psalm 91, verse 10. In him, I never have to die. John 11, verse 26. It's him I defeat my enemies by. Luke 10, 9. In him, I have abundant life. John 10, 10. In him, there's no room for strife. James 3, 16. In him I can be a perfect wife, or if you're a man, in him you can have a perfect wife. Philippians 4.13. In him I have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. In him I have angelic hosts, Psalm 103.20. In him I have his Holy Ghost, Mark 1.8. No one else is there in whom to boast, 1 Corinthians 1.31. In him I have his precious rest, Hebrews 4.13. In him there'll be no evil test, James 1.13. In him I can always do my best, Philippians 4.13. In him I am God's righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. In him my total debt is paid, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. In him all of my strength is made, Exodus 15, verse 2. In him on narrow path I've stayed, Matthew 7.14. In him... This world does quickly fade, James 4, 4. In him there is the perfect peace, John 16, 33. In him my joy will never cease, John 16, 22. In him my faith can be released, Mark 11, 23 and 24. With him I'll eat the marriage feast, Revelation 19, 9. It's all in Jesus the Wonderful. It's all in Jesus the Counselor. It's all in Jesus, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, according to Isaiah. So the number four benefit is truly everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's no way to name it all. You know, everything that's named in that song plus much, much more because God knows every single thing that we're going to need for the living of this life. Okay, item number five of our inheritance is vindication. I want you to look in Isaiah 54:17. We don't have to defend ourselves. 
There's times when things happen and everything in us wants to go out and defend ourselves. But God says, your vindication is from me. And so Isaiah 54, verse 17, God says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment will be condemned. He says, this is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. That's a beautiful promise. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you will be shown to be in, in the wrong. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. Their vindication is from me. So God promises us, and that's a part of, of our inheritance. Okay, number six item. The guilt and the shame and the condemnation has all been removed. That's a part of the inheritance that Christ has left for you. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The law of life in Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, condemnation, when you take condemnation in, it brings death. But God says there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So when spirits of unworthiness are around you, they have to go when we appropriate this number six item of our inheritance. Item number seven, your children will be discipled by the Lord. Look on up in Isaiah 54 verse 13. It says, all of your sons and daughters will be taught of the Lord and the well-being of your sons will be great. Part of our inheritance is that God will teach your children. You know, you have the right in Christ Jesus to be able to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua said that, and we can stand. Now, you can't make all the decisions for your children, but the Bible shows us over and over that we can choose their spiritual inheritance. You can stand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve God. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19... God said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. He said, all of heaven and all of earth is witnessing the fact that life and death is in front of you, blessing and curse is in front of you. And then he says, now choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. See, you're not just choosing for yourself. You're choosing for your descendants as well. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding fast to Him, holding fast to His Word. For this is your life, and this is the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord God has sworn to you. Okay, you have the God-given right because of your inheritance, because you belong to God. You have the God-given right to choose life and blessing for your children. By loving the Lord, by holding fast to His Word, by obeying His voice. You don't have to fear the things that you may be seeing. Sometimes you see things and you hear things about your children and it causes your heart to beat a little bit fast. You don't have to worry about that. Love the Lord with all your heart. Hold fast to His Word. Obey His voice and claim your inheritance. Claim life and claim blessing for you and for your children. Okay, number eight item is in Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ became a curse for us in order that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, this is a part of our inheritance. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Well, what is the curse? If we've been redeemed from the curse, then we need to know what it is. Now, the curses are listed out pretty specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want you to turn back there. Deuteronomy 28. 
Now, I'm not going to read through all the curses, but I do want to point a few of them out to you. We have to know that from which we've been redeemed before we're going to be able to walk in it. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 through 14, it gives us the blessings that come because of obedience to the law. But God knew that it would be absolutely impossible for us to be able to keep all the law. And that's why he ushered in the new covenant and redeemed us from all the curses. Later you can look up Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. And God is quoting from a prophecy from Jeremiah telling us that there's going to be a new covenant, a better covenant based on new and better promises. But here in Deuteronomy 28, verse 16 through 68, all the curses are listed out. Now, all of these curses came as a result of sin in the world. Actually, what the curse is is just the law of sowing and reaping in effect, where something negative has been sown, and so the curse is, has been reaped because of it. Every curse is the result of somebody's sin. Now, it might not necessarily be something that you've done. It might not necessarily be a sin of yours, but everything that is being reaped has been sown by someone. In fact, some of the things in the negative that are happening in your life are curses that have ha been handed down through your ancestral line. Someone up the line opened the door through sin. Now, the Old Testament says that the curse is passed down to the third and the fourth generation. But praise God, we're under the new covenant. We're under a new and a better covenant. We're reading the will, and you've been redeemed from the ancestral curses. And God said under the new covenant, the father would eat the sour grapes, and the children's teeth would not be set on edge. See, in the Old Testament, when the father ate the sour grapes, it said the, the children's teeth were set on edge. But under the new covenant now, the father then will eat sour grapes, and it'll be his teeth set on edge. In other words, everybody will be responsible for their own sin. Now, all of these curses in Deuteronomy 28 fall under three main categories. One category is extreme poverty and lack. Another category of the curse is sickness and disease. And then the third category is calamity and death. Now, when Jesus paid the supreme sacrifice by taking our sin and the consequences of our sin, when he took the due and the merited punishment that belonged to us, he redeemed us from all three categories of the curse. He redeemed us from the extreme poverty and lack, he redeemed us from the sickness and death, and he redeemed us from uh, sickness and disease, and then calamity and death. Now, that's a part of the will and testament of which you've become a beneficiary when you became born again. Now, we need to have our mind renewed, renewed to be able to understand this will because otherwise we'll think as the world thinks and we'll think, oh God, there's no way that we could receive all of that. And that's why Romans 12 verse 2 says, don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking, but be transformed by having your mind renewed to what the will of God is. This is the will of Jesus. See, the, the world expects the curses. That's the norm for the world. You'll hear people in the world say, well, heart disease just runs in my family, or a bad temper just runs in our family. See, they expect the curse to come. But we're to be transformed in our thinking until we're able to think the way God thinks. He thinks just exactly according to this word. This is the last will and testament of Jesus. Okay, so the first category of the curse, the extreme poverty and lack. 
Every poverty that you see in this world, every extreme poverty is a part of the curse. The ground is even poverty stricken because of the curse. So many times you'll find that the ground won't produce. Look in verse 38. It says, you'll bring out much seed to the field, but you'll gather in little for the locusts will consume it. You'll plant and cultivate vineyards, but you shall never drink of the wine, nor gather in the grapes, for the worm will devour them. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil, for your olives will drop off. Down in verse 42, the cricket shall possess all of your trees and the produce of your ground. The alien who is among you will rise up above you higher and higher, but you shall go down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Look back in verse 29. You shall grope at noon as the blind man gropes in darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. When you look in verse 23, it even talks about cannibalism. Now that's pretty extreme poverty. But a part of your inheritance is that Christ redeemed you from the curse. He redeemed you from the curse of poverty. Galatians 3.13 said he became a curse in order to redeem you from the curse of the law. Okay, another category of the curse is sickness. God lists out in detail here in Deuteronomy 28 every kind of sickness and disease that you can imagine. In fact, when you read down these verses in the last part of chapter 28, it's depressing. You can hardly stand to be able to, to read them. He lists them all out. Every mental curse, every emotional curse, every physical curse known to man. And in verse 61, it says, even every sickness and disease that's not listed in this book, they're all a part of the curse of the law. Verse 67, it talks about the despair of the soul. And boy, we've seen so much of that because uh, sin has played havoc in this world because Satan is the god of this world. But in verse 67, it says, in the morning... You'll say, would that it be evening. At evening, you'll say, oh, would that it be morning. Because of the dread of your heart, which you dread. Because of the sight that's in front of your eyes. And literally, we see the curse of dread everywhere. You see people all the time just dreading the next day. Dreading the night if it's in the morning. They come to the night and they, oh, I wish it were morning. I dread the night or I dread the day. See, it's a part of the curse that came in as a result of sin. Now, a part of the curse is also the calamity that strikes Calamity over our children. Look at verse 41. You'll have sons and daughters, but they'll not be yours, for they'll go into captivity. Okay, the captivity of the enemy, the disobedience, the rebellion, all the alcoholism and the drugs that we hear about in, among the young people. That's the enemy's captivity. Verse 52 tells us that the nations will swoop down on us like eagles to devour us. And it tells us that disaster will strike at every turn. There's calamity everywhere. Just look around you in the world and you can see the evidence of the curse everywhere you look. Children rebelling, people who are sick, people who are depressed, people who don't have enough money to make ends meet, the ground not producing, we could name on and on. But the good news is that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. Now these are not ours automatically. These curses are not automatically lifted off the Christian, but it is God's will for them to be lifted. This is Jesus' will for us. It's a part of the last will and testimony of our inheritance. It's the inheritance that was left to us simply because Jesus loved us. But it has to be appropriated. 
Now, you're the beneficiary, you're the recipient of the will, but you have to choose to receive it. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. That's why it says that Jesus is our jubilee. See, the jubilee was the 50th year. And in the 50th year in the Old Testament, everything that they had lost was restored back to them. And Jesus said, I'm your jubilee. In Christ, everything's been restored. So Jesus was saying, I've become a curse in order that you can be redeemed from the curse. Now again, this is not for the world. This is for God's children who love God and who receive the things that God has offered to them. We can literally be restored back to the status of the garden. Now I'm not saying that you're not going to see these things in the world. That's what Psalm 91 is saying, that you'll look around with your eyes and you'll see the recompense of the wicked. You'll see uh, the recompense of the unbelieving. It says, a thousand will th fall by your side and ten thousand at your right hand. But Jesus then came to reverse the curse for those who belong to him. I love that scripture in Matthew 8 verse 17 where it says, He himself bore our diseases and carried away our sicknesses. So no wonder it's called good news. You know, it's so sad to look around in the world and see so many Christians who are having more problems many times than what the world's having. But most of the time, it's because we haven't understood what Christ Jesus bought and paid for. Now, we're going to have persecution. The Bible tells us that if we live godly lives, we will be persecuted. But we're never told that we have to endure any part of the curse. We've been redeemed from that. See, in 1 John 3, verse 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So he not only came to destroy the work, but he did it. Okay, the number nine item in our inheritance as a child of God is that he will mold us into his image. He'll fill us with his spirit, and he will develop within us the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the steadfastness, and the self-control. Okay, now that is wonderful when we think about that. That's the one that seems the hardest to realize, Father, can you make me into the image of Jesus Christ? You know, that seems to be the hardest. But the Lord says that if we'll submit ourselves to him, if we'll yield ourselves to him, that he will make us as Jesus is in this world, so are we to be, and that he'll form us into the image of Jesus. Now, I saved the best item in the, in the will for last, number 10. The last portion of your inheritance is a friendship with Jesus, a love walk with the Lord. That's what he wants. See, in the Old Testament, when the land was divided up, the priests didn't get a portion of the land. God said, I'm your portion. So we've been made priests into our God, and he literally is our portion. He, he is our inheritance. In John 15, verse 15, Jesus said, No longer will I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what the master's doing. But he said, From now on, I'm going to call you friends, because he wants a love walk with us. He wants to walk with us and have us walk with him and understand what's happening. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Do you know what the joy is? We are. We are his joy. We're his inheritance. I want you to think about that. Ephesians 1.18, Paul prayed, and he said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened so that you will understand the joy of God's inheritance in the saints. He left us an inheritance when he died, and we then became his inheritance when he rose again. 
I want you to think about that. He endured the cross for the joy that was set out in front of him. And the joy that was out in front of him was knowing that one day we would be his. We could become his and we could have a love walk with him. Now, to me, it looks like he got the bad end of the deal. But he loved us that much. His inheritance is fellowship and love walk with us. So not only are we sliding ourselves when we don't take the time to develop a love walk with him, but we're also sliding him because the only thing he got out of what he endured was us. That's what he got out of that, is his inheritance in the saints. Now, we've always appreciated and we've always accepted the part of the probated will that gave us a ticket to heaven. But, you know, there is more involved in the will. We need to realize that it's all included in the ticket. Now, I've used this illustration before several times, but it explains it so well. You remember the story of the widow in the old country who wanted more than anything to be able to take her son to America so they could start a new life. For years, she worked and put back every little penny that she could to be able to buy tickets on the boat to America. Now, there wasn't enough money to buy a meal ticket. She finally got enough money together to buy two tickets on the boat, but she didn't have enough for the meal ticket. But she kept thinking, well, at least we'll get to the new country and we'll be able to start a new life. And so they stored up the crackers and they stored up the cheese so that they could sustain themselves on the way. But it was really hard at mealtimes because the young boy would go in and he would watch all the other passengers as they would go into the dining hall and eat these wonderful meals. But they would go back to their room and they would console themselves that at least they would get to the new world even if they did have to go hungry on the trip. Now the last day of the trip, the captain happened to see the little boy peering in during the time that they were eating, and he jumped up and he ran out and he said, you know, it just dawned on me, I have never seen you and your mother come into the dining hall. Where have you been? And the little boy told him, well, we had enough money to get the ticket for the boat, but we didn't have enough money for the meal ticket too. And the captain was just appalled, and he said, didn't you know that when you bought the ticket, for the trip, didn't you know that it included everything? Didn't you know that it included everything you would need? Your bedding, your food, and everything. See, they had deprived themselves because of a lack of knowledge. And that's what Hosea 4.6 says. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In fact, Hosea 4.6 says there are two things that will destroy us, a lack of knowledge and rejection of that knowledge. And either one of them will keep us from everything that Jesus has bought and paid for. It's all in the ticket. And God's saying, receive it all. See, Psalm 27.1 tells us that Jesus is our salvation. And that word salvation does not just mean a ticket to heaven. That word salvation means hell and healing and deliverance and protection and provision. And every bit of that is ours in Christ Jesus. Every need that you'll ever have has already been provided for in Christ. And he's given it to us as an inheritance. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now sometimes it's hard for our minds to comprehend and take that all in. It's hard to fathom the fact that health and deliverance and protection and provision have all been given to us. But let me give you this illustration that I think will make it easier. If all through the last 2,000 years, Christians had been taught that this salvation meant that we were totally taken care of in this life, that all of our needs in this life were taken care of, that our well-being, our, our health, 
our deliverance, our protection, every bit of that was taken care of. But we had never been taught that we could live eternally with him. Okay, what we were taught was a truth because he does provide health and healing and deliverance and protection and provision. But it would just be a partial truth. And we would go along enjoying everything in this life. We would enjoy our health in Jesus. We would enjoy our deliverance. We'd enjoy having all of our needs met. But you know, the fear and the worry of, oh my, what's going to happen to me when I die? What's going to happen to me in the next life? That would always be there in the back of our mind. And then one day, we heard that the word salvation took in more than just health and healing and deliverance in this life. All of a sudden, we heard someone teach that it also meant a ticket to heaven. And so we started searching through the Word of God, and we found that, yes, it does mean that we can live eternally with Him. And we'd look at that, and we'd think, oh, this is too good to be true. Can I possibly believe for something that wonderful? Now, I know that Jesus is the answer for everything I need in this life, but could I ever stretch my faith to really believe that salvation could mean that I could live with Him eternally, through eternity? See, can you see that if we turned it around, it would ju be just as hard if we hadn't been taught? See, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. And as we hear the truth, the more we hear it, then we build faith to believe it. Well, we know, we've, we've heard for 2,000 years, Christians have been taught that salvation lets us live eternally with the Lord. But you know, it's been there in the Word all along that it brings our health and our healing and our deliverance and protection and provision. But sometimes we just haven't been taught, and so now we're having to renew our mind to believe what God has bought for us. But see, to me, I would think that it would be a slap in God's faith, face to refuse any part of what Christ paid such a high price to obtain. Now, if he paid that high price, I feel like the least we can do is renew our mind to receive it, to realize that everything has been provided for in Christ Jesus. And when we realize that he loved us that much, then we're going to begin to fall more deeply in love with him every moment of every day. Now, I've heard it said, don't just seek salvation, seek the, the Savior. I've heard it said, don't, don't just seek healing, seek the healer. And don't just seek the gift, but seek the giver of the gifts. Well, that sounds really good theoretically. But in reality, you can't separate the gift from the giver. You can't separate the healing from the healer because Jesus is himself the gift that he gives. He is himself the gift that he gives. He's the gift. Jesus himself is the healing. Jesus himself is the provision. When we take Jesus, we're literally taking everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that we need in this life has been provided for in Christ Jesus. Now, the will of Christ Jesus has been read. It's all through the Word. We can walk out of the lawyer's office and we can say, you know, give my part to someone else. Or we can go forth and we can enjoy the awesome benefits that he's provided for us. And he's paid a tremendous price. And he wants us to enjoy the benefits, and then he wants us to allow him to enjoy his benefit, to enjoy his inheritance, that love walk and that relationship with us. Father, thank you that you loved us enough that you sent Christ to die for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you wanted us, you wanted your part of the inheritance in us enough to die and redeem us and buy us back. Father, we thank you. Certainly it would be enough if, if we could just live eternally with you. Certainly that is 
more than we can even imagine. And you did it because you loved us. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just say that you loved us, but you demonstrated your love. Father, we thank you. We desire a love walk. We want with all of our heart, Lord, to love you as you deserve to be loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.